We're in a, a study and we're just laying foundations into receiving the gospel according to Mark. And so there's work to be done. Those who follow Jesus must learn to be both recipients and agents of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the same thing. They must be committed to representing, and I often say it, representing, because that's our call in mission, to representing Jesus, to do what he did, to stand for what he defended to his final breath. We extend the kingdom in the same way that Jesus did, through service and through sacrifice. That's the upside down kingdom of God. We're the last or first, the weakest are strongest. The overlooked are chosen. That's the gospel. And that's good news to just about everyone in the world and everyone who has ever lived. Except, as I said last week, perhaps not good news to those who are in power, who would do everything to keep that power. But to everyone else, it is good news what Jesus came and proclaimed, that the kingdom of heaven is near and is within reach. Now, it can seem like a daunting task, as I said last week, to change the world through service and sacrifice, not through dominion or force, right? Through invitation and through love, not through power and greed. And that's what Jesus did. He changed the world. He established a kingdom unlike any other kingdom or empire or democracy that the world has ever known. That's why we might call it upside down. To change the world, if it depends on us, either individually or even collectively, if it depends on our strength and ability, our fortitude and ingenuity, our wisdom and creativity, then we are in trouble. And thankfully, Jesus shows us another way. We're still in the beginning of the gospel according to Mark. So if you have your devices, it's Mark chapter one. Let me read verses nine through 11 once again. In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. We see in this that Jesus, Jesus himself did not rely on his own strength or ability nor did he operate out of his divinity, his divine nature, being one with God and sent by God, but he willingly chose servitude, humility, with all within his humanity. The apostle Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven. He says, you should be like this too. Have this mind, have this attitude amongst you, which is yours in Christ Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, be held. But he emptied of himself and he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus models for us what a life lived in and by the Holy Spirit would look like. And it's a vital model for us. Because if our answer to the question that whether we state it or think it, how did Jesus do? How did he accomplish all that he did while on earth, or at least during those few years of his public ministry that we see in the gospel accounts? If we answer that question, well, because he was God, then we totally fail to understand what he came to model and teach us. 
how to live in and by the power of God. If we're called to be his followers, and the answer to everything he did, everything, so to speak, supernatural that he accomplished is, well, because he was God, then we can only follow him so far and no further. There's a line there that we'll run into very quickly. Well, I can't do that. He, he, he was God. But there's so much more that Jesus is trying to show us in how he lived his life, how he emptied of himself, how he did not draw from and hold his divinity first, but leaned into another power, the empowerment of the Spirit who rested upon him and inaugurated his ministry. Jesus said that all who believe in him will look like him. They're meant to represent him, to live like him. He says this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And we could discuss greater, likely not more extravagant, but greater in scope and breadth and multiplication. But regardless of that, there's a clear intention that we would extend his ministry. We would see it multiply. But we will clearly look like him. All who believe in me will do the work I do. That's a pretty clear statement from Jesus. And how could that even be possible? How could we even imagine that? If you know anything about the way that Jesus lived, we would come up to that line pretty quickly of, his divinity, our humanity, and we can go no further unless Jesus lived his life not drawing on his divinity but on another source of supernatural power that he intended to give, to make available to all who would follow him. That's the only thing that starts to line up and connect the dots for some of these incredible claims that Jesus makes. In fact, Jesus promised this with his very last words, which I'm guessing many of you know, because I've said them often and again and again over the years. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before the account of Jesus ascending into heaven after his resurrection, the final promise or the final commission that he gives to those few followers, maybe a hundred or so that were still with him and willing to continue to follow him, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. This is the final promise Jesus gives fulfilling that first promise that we read from John the baptizer who promised that this would be so even before Jesus's public ministry. Back it up to verse seven of Mark chapter one. John preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John foretold it. John proclaimed it. Jesus fulfilled it and gave that final promise to the church before ascending. How can we possibly understand what it looks like to live a life filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is supernatural, but it looks a whole lot like Jesus' day-to-day ministry. And so we see what we are promised and given in the words of Jesus. It seemed quite obvious to Mark, this author of, the, of this testimony, that it, he begins the gospel showing that Jesus is empowered by the Spirit, the Spirit descends, the voice of the Father affirms, and then the whole rest of the story is evidence of 
empowered life. That's what he's proving. I believe it's also evidence of the life his followers are meant to lead. And we'll see that bear itself out as we go through the journey. Jesus would say in John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. We have help for wisdom and counsel from God. We have a promise of peace through this same spirit. And furthermore, we have a divine guidance that's promised to us that we might know the truth. We might discern what we see in our world, even to the point of understanding the things to come, foretelling the future, maybe not in detail, but in understanding the trajectory of the work that God has promised to fulfill. So we fast forward to John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. So we have this promise for wisdom and truth, for help, for counsel, for guidance in the power of the spirit, in the same spirit that was leading, guiding, and empowering Jesus. We have the promise as we walk with with him to even be even to be brought the wisdom for the very words that we might speak in the times of our greatest doubt or frustration or persecution or uncertainty. This is according to Matthew chapter 10, 19, when Jesus says, when you are delivered over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Again, the Spirit's empowering in those who follow Jesus. This would be proven in the early church. If you remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, Peter and John had been preaching and thrown in prison and were rescued again in a miraculous way. The church assembled to pray. And in Acts 4, 31, it says this, when they had prayed together, the place where they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit. By the way, many who had been filled previously, so we might say they were filled again with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Their prayer wasn't to be rescued and delivered from hardship and trial. Their prayer was, Holy Spirit, remind us of your presence and your power to do the work that you've called us to do. We find ourselves in a time of trial and hardship when our first kind of prayer is often, Lord, help, get me out, rescue, deliver, stop. And I'm not saying those are wrong prayers, but to follow in the way of our predecessors of faith, to pray, Lord, if you do not remove, may you give a reminder of your presence and power for the mission you've called us to, to speak boldly on your behalf. These are evidences that I'm just reading through, of empowering of the Spirit, of filling of the Spirit. Things like wisdom, truth, faithfulness, boldness. Yes, they are supernatural, but they're not often the things that we first think of when we might think of the empowering filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul would go on to describe them in very common terms. In Galatians, you might know the list of the fruit of the Spirit, as he calls them. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Actually, first he says in verse 16, Galatians 5, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. There's a living, walking relationship. Walk by the Spirit. As Jesus walked with his disciples, we're meant to walk with 
God in this way, in a daily way. And the fruit of the Spirit will be these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are very common things, maybe less and less common in our world. They are supernatural. They are evidences of the Spirit in and through us. And I I draw out, if you can get those first few, love, joy, and peace in the midst of a world of pain and division and trial and hardship and uncertainty, man, that would be evidence of the Spirit. He says in Ephesians 5, 18, these are other evidences, and we've read this a couple of times as we've come together for field church. What does it look like to be Spirit-filled people encouraging one another who are following Jesus? Paul says it this way, be continually filled by the Spirit. It would actually translate into our English in a way that we wouldn't speak. Be being filled. Be being filled with the Spirit, ongoing, daily. And here's the evidence of that filling. You would address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I'd say that's supernatural because if the Spirit comes upon me and I start to sing to you, you can be certain that it's the work of God. Sing and make melody with in your heart to the Lord and give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To give thanks in all circumstances, even the hardest things. To submit to one another, even those who would like to argue or fight about something. To honor and love. If that's not supernatural work of the Spirit, I don't know what is. This is the way that we ought, that the authors of Scripture are speaking of the evidences of being empowered by the Spirit. We should see them in our life. They should become normal, and we should see them growing over time as we follow Jesus. Not everyone believes that the Holy Spirit fills and empowers today. Not everyone believes that Jesus lived his life fully dependent on the Spirit. It might get us off the hook for a number of things if we simply say, oh, because he was God. I I couldn't live like that. I think we have a very clear picture in the baptism of Jesus that the Holy Spirit has come to empower his life and ministry. But if that was the only picture we had, I, 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 I I would have a hard time saying that it would be a prescription for the way we are then to live our life. If you've listened to any of my teaching over the years, you would say, Ben, this is description. This is something that happened to Jesus that is good to know for us. So then we would need to go into Scripture and see if, is there actually a prescription for us to live in the power of the Spirit in the same way that Jesus did? And guess what? There is. In fact, I'd say there's many, but this one comes to mind first for me and maybe is the most powerful. John records it in John 20, 21. Jesus speaking again to his disciples. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. It could be translated, just as the Father has sent me, so I am also sending you. And when he had said this, he did one of the weirdest things I think we see in in the scriptures. He breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It would just be one of the evidences, one of the times of the coming of the Spirit. It would come in fullness later at that first Pentecost to everyone in the room, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel. In those days, the Spirit will be poured out. But at this time, with a smaller gathering, he says to his disciples, just as I have been sent by God the Father, in the same way that I've lived my life and done ministry, the way I've been able to do that, I am now sending you. 
receive the Spirit, because no longer would he be present with them, just for some days longer, but the Spirit will be with you forever. There's the prescription, the evidence of life in the Spirit in the same way that Jesus lived his life, receiving from God his Father. This means that we are to go into the world as humble servants with also great power and authority to do his will, to bring his character, to bring mercy, healing, justice, wisdom, peace, and freedom, to bring sight to the blind or those who cannot see, to bring voice to the voiceless, to bring strength to the weak, and to bring power to the oppressed. As the Father sent me, I was empowered to do these things, so I am sending you. Represent me wherever you go. We are not alone. We are empowered, baptized in the Spirit, which simply means to be immersed in the Spirit on an ongoing way, inspired. And I think that's why Jesus breathed upon them, because that breath, like the breath of God, meant his inspiration. It was more, it was more than a strange thing. It was meant to be an empowering moment for his disciples. Now, some will argue, and maybe you're thinking the same thing. This was clearly for those first disciples who became apostles. Jesus gave it to them, but that could no longer apply to us. Things are different. Things have changed. Now, that doesn't hold up at all. The Holy Spirit was given to all the followers of Jesus as evidenced at the first Pentecost and throughout Acts. They lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. So then others will say, well, now that that first generation has passed, the Spirit has withdrawn or has stopped working in that same way. Others will say, now that we have the Scriptures, now that they finally are bound together in the book that we may hold, or now look up on our Bible apps, now that we have the Scriptures, we do not need the, the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance what Jesus taught and to lead us and to guide us. We have the Scriptures. And certainly many churches today live functionally believing in their trinity of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible is meant to be God's word to us to reveal who he is, his character, and his mission. But we are called to be people who live by and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. I think Paul absolutely lived and preached and taught with clarity that the Holy Spirit had been poured out to all peoples for all time. There's absolutely no evidence that any of the biblical authors believed that the Spirit was going to stop working in the same way that he had been working amongst them. It's the way they lived. It's what they were willing to die for. And it's what they knew was needed for the kingdom to expand to the ends of the earth. There was no other way. And we would say that today, wouldn't we? That the expansion of the kingdom of God as we're seeing it, as Jesus lived it and sent us into it, is too massive of a thing if we have to rely on our own strength. Would God be with us, empowering us to do these things, which may sound common and simple, but you know if you've tried to live them out, they must be supernaturally inspired. Just as the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, he is poured out onto all who are following him and begin to put their trust into him. We can have the same assurance of our identity in Christ as Jesus heard from God his Father, with you I am well pleased. It is also a promise spoken to us. Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons and daughters, adopted ones, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and it will cry out, Abba, Father. It's the most intimate term for a, for a, relation, a relationship it could have. Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, you are now an heir through God. We who are putting our trust in God and following the way of Jesus have this promise of our identity. It's who we are. It's how we've been sent into the world as his agents to represent him. We are not alone. We are chosen, adopted, and he is pleased with us. He is pleased with you. Will we be spirit-empowered sons and daughters multiplying his kingdom? In fact, the whole greatest commission, or how the church has called it, the greatest commission would fall apart if the ministry of the Spirit had ceased, had stopped at some point. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go therefore into all the earth and make followers of me, teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I will be with you in that way to the end of the age. Baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Do you see an asterisk in the text? Teach them all that I've commanded you. Everyone that you see make followers of me. Teach them everything I've told you. Oh, except those few things about the Holy Spirit's power and work. Don't teach them that because that's going to stop. There's no asterisk in the text. That means teach them that even they will do greater things than I did because of the empowering of the Spirit. That means I will be with them too, always through the power of the Spirit. That means whoever believes in me will be sent just like the Father sent me. Teach them all of that. Perhaps we need to repent this morning. Repentance in the way that Mark teaches it. A changed thinking that leads to changed action. We could also say, by the way, that a changed action often helps lead to changed thinking. Simply walking that out like two pedals on a bike. To change the way we've been thinking about the world or we've been taught to think that life in the kingdom is available now. Whatever happens on Tuesday, God's kingdom will not be shaken. And we are meant to be people that bring that same level of peace regardless. To change the way we've been thinking about Jesus, if we have, to, to realize that he lived his life empowered by the Spirit and has given us the Spirit to walk in the same ways and to change the way we've been thinking about ourselves. How dare we dishonor God our Father who says, with you I am pleased, invites us, adopt us, and sends us with his power to say, no, I can't, God. I don't see myself that way. When God the Father has spoken his blessing and grace upon us, to see the world and Jesus and ourselves the way God does would change everything, wouldn't it? May it be. God wants to turn this world right side up again, and he's inviting us to do it through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Is there a more compelling mission that we could give our lives to than this? And it's not for the faint of heart. It's not boring and it's not stagnant. And we'll see that next week with what the Spirit next sends Jesus to do. You can read ahead if you want a sneak peek. Let me close with a quote from the great South African missiologist, spirituologist of the 19th century, Andrew Murray. 
Andrew said, the one thing needful for the church and the thing which above all others people everywhere ought to seek for with one accord with their whole heart is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I wonder, along with theologian A.W. Tozer, who wondered 70 years ago, perhaps the church today doesn't want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because perhaps that would change too much. So I'll say tongue-in-cheek, if your life is as good as it's ever been because of the decisions that you've made, you're in full control and lacking nothing. Full peace, no stress. Full security, no uncertainty. Full joy, no sorrow. No emergencies ever happen in your life. No calls for help. Full hope for the future and no doubt. If your life is so good that you want nothing to change, then don't pray to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit because he might just change everything. But if, for those of us that are ready for something more and something different and recognize the time is short and urgent in the world that we live in, our perspectives are changing, then may we with one accord, as Andrew Murray calls the church to 150 years ago, say today, yes, with one accord, we seek the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's up to him how he would like to manifest that in our lives. We make our hearts open and ready to receive. May it be.